Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Welcome to this Two Cents episode on the Australian Investors Podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Drew Meredith. He's dialing in from Tasmania, having been on the ESG retreat. Today, we'll be covering a host of different questions. We got some great questions sent in advance, and we probably covered too many. Hence, the duration of this podcast is over an hour. In the beginning, we talk about companies, and we talk about uh, whether to put an active fund in the core or the satellite part of your portfolio. Then we talk about about 10 minutes or 15 minutes into the conversation. I dive into PayPal, Okta, and Pinterest, and the key things that you want to understand when you're looking at a business like that. We talk about using a line of credit against your home to invest in uh, diversified portfolios. Then we start to tackle this uh, relatively new thing that's come to market called Vanguard Super. What Vanguard's doing, how it compares to traditional funds, and why it may or may not be a success. Then we dive into uh, different companies, and in particular, Hugh Jundy sent in a question about Mader Group, which trades under the ticker symbol MAD on the ASX. It's a great question. And Ben asks about different brokerage accounts for long-term investors. Which ones make sense? Which ones are best? Which ones maybe not quite right? Then we talk about how often you should invest in the stock market. Like, do you do this weekly, monthly, fortnightly? If so, how much? And finally, we conclude with a conversation on using a trust to invest. So we talk about a lot. We cover many different topics and there's probably too many questions as I said, but it's a heap of fun if you're just listening passively while you're going about your day. Thanks for tuning into this episode, two cents episode on the Australian Investors Podcast. Be sure to send your question through using any of the RASC websites uh, and you can get in touch with Drew at wattlepartners.com.au. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Drew Meredith, welcome to this uh, two cents episode on the Australian Investors Podcast. How you going, mate? Going very well. Live from sunny Hobart. Yeah, mate. You are indeed. Today, obviously, uh, we'll get to that in just a minute, but just a quick one before I totally forget this. Anything that we mention in this podcast, uh, we'll be answering some questions, is limited to general financial information only. Please go and seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before you act on the information we deliver today. This is especially important because... When you're going across the Tasman, oh, wait, no, we're not going across the Tasman. We're going across to Tasmania. Bass Strait. Um, Bass Strait. Things can get broken up and words can be misconstrued <laughs> and 
it's been a long week for everyone. What day is <laughs> it? What are you doing down in Tassie? <laughs> oh, we just uh, ran that ESG retreat in, as we, we call it, the first of its kind in Australia. So it was bringing together <clears throat> not just financial advisors and institutions, which is quite rare, but uh, a whole heap of um, d- different subject matter experts on on things to do with the you know, environmental, social and governance issues. So we had highlight was probably Bob Brown, founder of the Greens, talking at uh, Mona on the first night. And then some mm-hmm. in, super interesting sessions. That I think it was the head of uh, Renewables Tasmania came down and talked about how the, the state's one of the only <clears throat> ones in the world that's carbon positive um, and, you know, did some really interesting uh, design thinking kind of pitch sessions like a groom and transfer um, Put, put some challenges to people like should the G be an ESG uh, and those sort of things, which super interesting, super engaging. What's the, what was the outcome of that? I oh, had a for and against. So it was kind of how do you how do you solve today's issues without considering both sides? And the whole con- context of this retreat, why we called it a retreat, was because it was to go in with an open mind and kind of be willing to hear other people's views or at least switch your own views and take the other position. So um, I haven't seen that done in 15 years so it was a bit crazy and we got uh i think two full days of rain before we got there so it was a oh, wow. story our team was uh i think they had about three hours sleep in two days keeping things organized <laughs> well it's a heck of a thing going away for four days with a bunch of investors it'd be heaps of fun um doing that are you going to do it again next year yeah 2023 well it's yeah. yeah the most impressive venue and the most impressive um you know the the Best, probably one of the best events I've seen. Not that I was yeah, right. obviously I'm part of it, so I'm probably biased, but um, <laughs> I haven't seen anything so unique done before. Yeah, right. Cool. Like it, mate. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a great thing. You know, um, you had a really good, you had a stacked lineup, um, some really good speakers, and some really good attendees. So that's great stuff. Uh, and. Just for, for anyone that is watching live, you can ask questions in the live chat. We accidentally clicked live um, rather than just clicking it just to record. So if you are watching, I can see a few of you are watching, uh, feel free to say good day and, and drop us a few questions. Um, speaking of events, now that the ESG retreat is done from you guys, um, the RASC event is taking shape. It'll be on the 9th of December, Friday night. There will be a goodie bags and giveaways. It looks like, Drew, every single person that comes to the event in person will receive a free book, an investing book, because uh, a lot of the people that are presenting are authors. So there's another another one on the bottom That's line. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but there'd be heaps of. We've almost, to be honest, we've we've only sent one email, and I think we've almost like we're on our way to selling out of tickets within the next few days. So that'll be heaps of fun. Well done. Instead, uh, there'll be like 250 people. Yeah, the um, credit to you. The, the live. Well, yeah, cheers, mate. But um, I mean, there's a lot of us that were working on it. Um, the the cool thing is it will be live streamed. I got a message from a, a few farmers this week that said, um, you know, this is going to be awesome. We're going to do a bit of a thing on a Friday night where we all catch up and watch it because you can live stream it from anywhere in Australia. A lot of the events that we normally see, like probably the exception is your Tassie trip. A lot of events that we see for investing are in Sydney and Melbourne, Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, you see Perth and that. Um, so, yeah, watch it from anywhere. Take part. There will be giveaways for people that are watching live as well. So, it's not just about an in-person thing. Uh, and, in fact, the live stream will probably be better than the uh, in-person in some respects. In, in particular, there will be a 45-minute break in the middle of the event in person. And during that time, 
you'll hear stock pitches from uh, Scott Phillips, Claude Walker, uh, and there'll be a bunch of other uh, high-profile guests in the break. So it's going to be cool. It's like a, I don't know what you call it, like a multimedium, <laughs> omni-channel uh, event. Is it so first time we'll see that? how we go. Yeah, first time. Good luck. We've, we've rec- yeah, yeah, cheers. We're actually be using the same software I'm using now, so I better not click the wrong button again. Um, so, yeah, uh, mate, other than that, like we're going to get to some questions. We've got some questions today, um, like Vanguard Super. Uh, we've talk- we've got some active funds. Uh, people asking questions about PayPal, Okta, Pinterest, uh, ETFs, how to use a line of credit, uh, a bunch of different stuff here. They're really interesting, but maybe if we just spend a couple minutes, like other than the ESG retreat, what have you been working on? Ah, uh, death. What's been on, what's been on your mind? Death. Death. I'm you, I'm nearing forty on. I turned forty on. on Monday, so <clears throat> sorry, everything's getting a little bit dark. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> happy birthday, Drew. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, about eighty people sung happy birthday last week, earlier this week at the event, which was nice and embarrassing. Um, thanks, Jamie, for that. Um, uh, well, I, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you probably talk all the time that we do a lot of retirement work, but there's been like this massive surge in wills in the last few months. So like helping people rethink their wills, helping people think about different structures. A lot of people have companies or trusts and yeah, a lot of it, I said death is to being quite dark, but uh, you know, succession planning and uh, yeah, been a lot of focus in the last few weeks. Um, not sure why, but uh, people are that was gonna be my next question. thinking about the future at the moment. I think maybe there's, there's some maybe some fresh air after COVID and two and a half years, and people are kind of getting back to normal life and thinking about how they can, um, like, yeah, tick the boxes to make sure everything's set up. Yeah. Okay. It's um, it's important. There's actually a question today from uh, someone which we uh, will get to about that. Um, it's not related specifically to estate planning, but we'll just quickly talk about that as part of one of the questions. Um, so we've also got a heap of other stuff that, uh, we've been working on. Obviously one of the things that I've been paying attention to drew is interest rates and you made a very bold call last week and I don't have my <laughs> ominous sounding music with me today because we're recording remotely, uh, which is such a shame, but, uh, I, I feel like interest rates are really interesting because what we're seeing is we're seeing a surge in the Aussie dollar as well. Yeah. I don't know if you've been uh, seeing that the last two weeks, but that's a, I feel like that's uh, a really interesting thing. Actually, we just had a question come in from <laughs> Tunisim. I have nothing useful to contribute on the subject of investing, but I also turned 46 weeks ago. I'm not usually a birthdays person, but it has hit me hard. The, the party <laughs> or the turning 40? <laughs> yeah, because uh, I think both. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I'm 32. Uh, a couple of years ago, I turned 30 and that was like, what? Jeez, wake up call. Anyway, um, things I've been working on lately, I've watched White Lotus, haven't got to the end yet, so don't ruin it. Um, I had some interviews this week, which were really interesting. I spoke to Will Bayless from Martin Curry. Yeah, lovely, lovely guy. He's a, oh, super lovely. And he's really like, I'm going to say he's probably one of the most impressive uh, sustainability-focused investors I've ever met. Yeah. Like he is... The way he thinks kind of is considered and just, has, he's been met all the boards, met like knows the companies internally. They'll listen to his views on engagement, divestment. Yep, that's uh that will come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, I spoke to Jeff Wilson, uh, founder of Wilson Asset Management, two days ago. Who knew franking credits was so divisive? 
I mean, wowzers. Don't put that on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're all in the tow about it. They said the Sun Hearts and Minds conferences yeah, today as well. And uh, all I've seen is, um, yeah, a lot of PMs and fund managers and, uh, yeah, heaps of people in, yeah. in town at the moment. Um, another thing that I we recorded this week, Monique, our producer, got back from uh, Europe, so we went and talked about that. She managed to get to Europe with her partner, and they didn't spend more than, I think it was about $13,000 for, they're a bit younger, so they're staying in Airbnbs, $13,000 for two of them over three weeks. So that was that's running, the sm- that's running on the smell of an oily rag, <laughs> but uh, it, uh, they've done it. And then the final thing is, um, I spoke to Melissa Brown. Uh, Melissa Brown is an author and former financial advisor. She's probably... In terms of female financial educators in Australia, she's probably in my top three. And so it was a real treat to speak with her again. I've spoken to her a few times before. And she actually came out with this statistic, Drew, which is quite concerning. I know we not like to keep this lighthearted, but, um, and I actually went back and read the research myself. And it, the, the research finds that if a woman earns more than a man, the probability of domestic violence goes up 30% in a relationship, which is just incredible uh, in a bad way. Yeah. Um, uh, and I here's my here's my I went well on it for too long, but here's my number one investment tip: find a partner who earns more than you. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> it's it's controversial. <laughs> controversial, I'd say. <laughs> but it's uh, I mean that with like tongue in cheek. Obviously, um, I think that when your partner earns good wage, it's a great thing to be honest. And I've never seen that as a as a negative in my life. And um, it's just like a superpower when you have a second income that is so high. And it's so, more about the other person than it is yourself, which is pretty Yeah. Clear. Like I, I just think that I just think that it's a I just think it's a great thing when you can encourage your partner to earn more and be successful in whatever they want to do, whether they're working or not, whether they just volunteer, whether they do something else with their time that just you know, encouragement is so important because it just makes the, the unit stronger and the team account, the team bank balance go up quicker. So exactly. that's what I'm all about. Yeah. Um, mate, let's get into some questions because we've got a, a shed load. I did have um, an interesting maybe we'll... one takeaway this morning as I was walking with my coffee okay. in sunny Hobart. Uh, I just got a lovely email Different. from my bank saying my mortgage rate had gone up again, which was fantastic. Congratu- <laughs> congratulations. Happy birthday. <laughs> not the best <laughs> but the variable rate's over seven. <laughs> And I think my rates is in the fives. I never, I didn't do, fix anything in. Um, but my, yeah. Wait, what? My mortgage rate's like 5.4%, I think now. And the variable rate is Ooh. seven point something. Less a discount. That's very high. It's quite high, yeah. I didn't refi when everyone That's- else did. You should, um, you should definitely like. Here's me giving the financial advice. Like like financial my- advice. It's so easy. No, man. Definitely refinance, or at least call them. Yeah. Jeez, that's too like this. I know you're talking about the discount off the standard variable rate, but that's too high. Yeah, yeah. like the forward rate curve, mate, is coming down. You get a T. So, getting, the other part of that is you get TDs at three point nine percent. I've never been more excited about TDs before. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, well, yeah, definitely call them. So <laughs> uh, we. Oh, by the way, we do. We are still give. We're giving away a. Um, a $499 course for whoever sends in the best question. And when we say best question, we mean just the the, the fake name that you give us. Um, and please, we will also favor people that don't give us personalized information. Like we get a lot of people, it's like, 
almost like the confessional when people come in, they just send us everything. Just send us like the core of your question and try to keep away from that personal advice because um, it just makes it a bit trickier for us. Uh, but we've got some fantastic questions and congratulations to Matt who won the Value Investor Program last week. So uh, the Wolf of Poor Street, which is a great name, writes in and says, hey, guys, long-time listener, first-time caller, just a quick one. Would you class the IIGF ETF, which is like a listed managed fund, uh, as a core ETF or as a satellite position? And would it go well with something like the Vanguard VAS ETF? Cheers, Benny. Now, I generally define uh, core versus satellite, if you're having that approach. And we've said to be in the past, which is you can get beta or the market for next to free. Um, is what's the active share or what are the holdings in that in this product compared to what the benchmark is? Because essentially, if if you want to have a core, you want it to be similar to the benchmark, maybe not exactly the same. And this one is completely different. So it's like RPM, Auckland Airport, I think, and Woodside are the largest holdings at like 17%. So that clearly kind of says it's a satellite. It doesn't mean you have to have a small allocation to it. It just means you it's going to be more volatile than the benchmark and very different. Um, and... Uh, one thing, I mean, it's delivered, as you probably said, delivered a lot of alpha as well, which is kind of what you want. You want your core to be beta or the market, and you want your satellite to be alpha or outperformance. Out yep. Uh, full disclosure, this is the uh, Intelligent Investor Australian Equity Growth Fund. It's run by Nathan Bell. Uh, Intelligent Investor is a supporter of the show, uh, a longtime partner. So you'll find a link to them in the, the podcast description if you want to take a free trial. But um, that's just for transparency there. But yeah, I mean, I've spoken to Nathan a bit lately who runs the funds and I, I always come away really impressed. He's a very kind of unique in that he focuses on like growth companies with lots of asymmetry. And what I mean by that is like he's not building a conventional portfolio. So that's the kind of thing you want from an investor in an active fund and particularly with Australian equities, if you want something different, because you, you can, as Benny said, you can buy VAS for 10 basis points, basically nothing. Uh, so when you do have these positions around the outside, um, I think you just want that active share. So I agree, like the everything that you said, Drew, I would probably point out that like when you, if, if you're building a core portfolio that you want to hold for 10 years, you do have to consider fees at around one percent it's not the highest fee in terms of um active funds but it is meaningful like it's meaningfully higher than 10 basis points so uh just consider that uh for me i would probably tuck it into the satellite allocation for my australian equities uh tech wrecked which is a good one uh, uh tech wrecked, all good days this week isn't it yeah bloody great and everyone responded to the free value investor program too so that's uh, good oh uh I bought some tech shares close to the peak last year. Oh, gosh. What are your thoughts on the longer-term recovery in the prices of Okta, Pinterest, Whisper, and PayPal? I don't know if you have any uh, insight on these. I can talk Yeah, most of them are out of, I mean, PayPal a little bit. I think I'm going to go into a bit more detail on that anyway. Um, and a lot yep. of them are outside what we tend to spend a lot of time on. We kind of look out, look to outsource yep. research to a lot of them. Um, yeah, so the last few years, so I've followed all of them pretty closely ex with the exception of Whisper. And what I might do for anyone that's watching the the live stream and the video version of this recording, I might actually share my screen just so you can see what I'm flapping my gums about. Um, and you, loved, just, you did love Okta for a while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and, okay, can you, you can see this, right? So this is uh, – I, I just wanted to boil it down for folks into basically – 
I think most companies and most investment theses can be broken down into maybe three key points. And as you're about to see, I don't stick to my rules very often. But uh, <laughs> it, I, I think like just in general, as long as you identify the, the three salient points for any company, you don't need to read every footnote if you're a long-term investor. And that will probably be a relief for a lot of people to think, I don't have time to monitor 20 companies and read the 200-page annual report every year. But if we look at, say, Okta, uh, Okta which is this business here, it does uh, – it does basically proof of identity on internet. So if you log in at work or if you're a customer that logs into an app, you can log in once and you get access to everything. Now, if we just go down to the highlights, Okta and most investor relations companies know that there are only a few things that people want to pay attention to. So they'll present it really nicely, kind of like how Catapult, for those of you playing along at home, did this week. Um, definitely massage those uh, numbers a bit. But here we go with Okta and we can see total revenue up 43%, subscription revenue up 44%. So there's a lot of positives here, but the key things that really matter for Okta are the rate remaining performance obligations. And this basically says what basically guaranteed income do we have in the future? The other thing that you want to look at is this thing called TTM, uh, dollar-based net retention. So this is basically saying what's our trailing 12 months dollar-based net retention or what are we earning from customers last year, this year? And it's basically saying 22%, we're earning 22% more from the customers we had last year, this year. So that highlights to you the stickiness and the upsellability of a company. So that's really positive. The final thing that I would be looking at and is you, the total customers. And you want to see Sorry, that trend over multiple quarters, don't you? Not just like this is just first of one quarter. The, the trend of yeah. TTM you want over a long period of time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you want to make sure that, uh, and I think they normally do this. I haven't actually uh, pulled it up here. Uh, they normally do it. Yeah, so here's dollar-based net retention or DBNR over time. So you can see it's always around 122%, 120%, so on and so forth. But this is that's really important because it basically says we're keeping customers and they're spending more. So we don't even need to acquire new customers. So then the other thing that you want to know is are they acquiring new customers? And the key thing for... Um, Okta is this thing right here, which is the customers over 100K per year. So the customers spending more than 100K. And this is important because it basically gives you an insight into the industry dynamics because Microsoft, Google, Apple, all of these other massive tech companies are aware of this idea of single sign-on. For example, if you sign into Gmail you, you are in your browser, you are automatically signed into Google Docs, and you're automatically signed into YouTube. That's the way, that's sig single sign-on technology in action. Now, the key thing is that with this metric here, you're actually seeing people on the front line, so the tech teams of these enterprises making a decision to go with Okta. So the more of this growth is a signal to you that Okta is still relevant. And we can see this here. But this comes at a cost. You've got to compare the cost of customers against the marketing spend. And one of the things that I'm mindful of with Okta is how much are they spending to acquire these customers? And you want to map that as an analyst. You want to map that through time. Uh, the, final re the final thing, which is not on my list, but it's something that I'll just call out and the reason why Okta has been punished over the past 12 months yeah, is because they made it. Yeah, it's down a long, long way. And there are two reasons. But the first reason is obviously valuation. People, like the stock got way ahead of itself. That's the first thing. The second thing is they made an acquisition of a business called Auth0. Um, this is a business that does basically the same thing, customer identity, 
but it's used by developers. So developers could create a program or a web application and it would identify customers and they could sign on, it's secure, so on and so forth. So I think that, you know, that's that, that culture integration has been a major issue. The tech stack integration has been an issue. So that's the thing that they need to resolve. I think the management team at Okta are first class. Um, it's a high risk company because it's still scaling, even though it's already massive. So I like the business. Um, it's just, it's coming up against the gorillas like Microsoft. So you've got to, even though it's a high quality business, you've got to take it in context of the industry. That's probably where I'll leave that. I won't spend as long on these other two just because um, Okta is probably the one that's most interesting given how far it's down. With PayPal, the key things you need to look at are TTV, total transaction volume. Again, that tells you relevance about the company. Is it still being used even without uh, eBay uh, using PayPal as default? Uh, then you want to look at the net margin. Basically, because PayPal is a high volume business with payments going through its network, you want to make sure that it earns something on that. Uh, and the other thing, which I'll just bring up in my notes here before I forget it, uh, the other thing uh, with with PayPal is the number of user user accounts. So they they're gonna, I think they're going to drop this. Um, they dropped the seven hundred million target for user accounts, but they're still adding users. So they're still adding uh, active users. They're st- still adding merchants, which are the people that use the accounts um, for payments. So still what's an incredibly good business. Oh yeah. Cash free cash flow is unbelievable. This is And we might have better, yeah. you know, we might think in Australia we've got all these other options for making payments, but huge parts of the world are still still need the security that comes with PayPal. I think I still use it quite a bit as well. Um, yeah, it's I- much easier doing a pop up that's already logged in for you and you know you're just clicking through. Absolutely. I think like the key competitor Stripe is, to be honest, I feel like Stripe's a superior option for most people that are building these days. So yeah. if you're building a web app or if you're building a website to take e-commerce payments, then Stripe's probably a better option because it's more flexible. Um, it's easy to deploy. It can be used on anything basically. But, uh, you know, one of the things that people in Australia tend to miss with PayPal is it's got one of the biggest peer-to-peer uh, payments businesses in the world with Venmo. And that's still really in its early days. That's like direct so, um, P2P. That's where you can just send money to your mates, isn't it? Instantly, yeah. And you can split yeah. bills and do all that sort of stuff. So I think PayPal's a great business. I just don't think it's a wide moat business like some people believe it is. I think it's it's surrounded by really powerful players and you've just got to make sure that you watch that net margin, still adding users to the relevance and that the, the payment volume is, is showing through and you can track that. Are you more comfortable around uh, PayPal than Okta? Well, I'd be more comfortable. Yeah, I'd sleep easier at night, but at the same time, in risk-adjusted terms, there's a chance on a five-year view that Okta becomes... Like a category killer. It could be. That's that's yeah. what it's looking at, isn't it? Whereas PayPal is going to stay hyper competitive, and it becomes a utility or a, you know, a, yeah. a long term boringish kind of holding infrastructure like. That's it. You said it best. So, uh, just with Okta, with Pinterest, Pinterest is like the they call it the visual search engine where you go on, you feel good when you get off the website. Basically, uh, you you go there and you get inspiration for travel for renovations and for all the stuff in your life. It's for like the middle-aged person that has young kids and or older kids and wants to 
you know, do all those types of wonderful things. And design. So, and are they, can you buy a yeah. product directly through Pinterest? I don't use it very yeah, often. So that's, I mean, that's how I'm showing how, how old I am. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, so are you going to show us your Pinterest account? I actually do have a Pinterest account. So um, look at all these email addresses is popping up. Um, so Pinterest is, uh, I use it for um, when we're doing renos, right? Like I wanted to get, I wanted to create a servery. Look at me getting my, my tool belt out. No, but I wanted to, I told you about this. I wanted to create a, um, a servery onto our decking so people could, you could serve drinks and food through the kitchen. And I went on there and I got inspiration on how to do it. And then through the platform, what they've done in the last few years is they've discovered that they can sell things through the platform. So if you find a lamp or something like that and you think it's in a picture, it can search for that and find, okay, well, here's a lamp that looks like that on the internet. It might be from Kmart. It might be from wherever else people shop for things like lamps. Uh, so, so that's basically the idea. And it's, it's going in that direction. It's just a long-term journey. So with yeah. Pinterest, what you want to look for is average revenue per user, particularly outside the United States. Um, you want to look at the user count outside the United States because it's reached maturity in the United States. And I would just say the last thing that I look for is basically – how is it going with integrations? So integrations with Shopify, integrations with WooCommerce and social platforms yeah. because that's how they'll acquire more users and make more money. Yeah. Um, so that's basically it. Uh, Whisper is a business that I'm not intimately familiar with. Uh, just having a skim of its financials, the, clearly the thing that matters is costs. Yeah, it looks very so, challenging. Yeah. So just make sure that you've got a view on costs and when management will try and reach profitability and that's that so that's a great question uh, tech wrecked we'll try and be a bit quicker with the rest of them um etfing fun who has asked a few questions i believe says okay this is a very personal question so we're going to take it generally um we have a lot of equity in our home conservatively 800k uh, we can redraw a bit how would one go about using a small amount of this equity to enhance our regular monthly index ETF investments? I.e., would we need a different loan or could we use just a redraw? Also, what are the pro general pros and cons of this move? Thanks for all you do. Oh, you're very welcome about that. ETF and fund, we're going to answer this question as how do you use equity to invest? And uh, what are the, some of the general things you need to be aware of? Drew, I don't know if you do this. Um, otherwise, I'm happy to riff on it. You can get started. I'm happy to, to dig into it as well. Yeah, so uh, the, the basic idea is that I tend to stay away from any type of debt when it comes to investing. Um, I think there's a quote from Warren Buffett that says, uh, if you're smart, you don't need debt. And if you're not smart, you probably shouldn't be doing it. So, <laughs> so It probably depends um, how old you are. It does, I yeah. Mean, essentially, and we'll get to essentially, that. We'll talk about this morning again. Essentially, what you're doing when you've got a mortgage or an offset account is extracting equity from your home and spending it however you choose to spend that. And it's your biggest, in most cases, your biggest asset. So sometimes it's powerful, but it didn't say how old this person was. So obviously if you're in your fifties and sixties, you'd probably reconsider leveraging into equity markets given how volatile they are. Yeah. I, so yeah, great. So it depends how old you are. It depends on your risk profile now. And it, so in that and risk profile, by the way, has a lot to do with how much you know about investing and yeah. how much you're prepared to, um, be aware Except of the risks. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, 
uh, as a younger person who understands finance, I would happily use a line of credit against my home to invest in a diversified portfolio. There are some, you and you'd speak to your bank or your mortgage broker about how do you structure that and your accountant perhaps. But generally speaking, the interest on a loan is tax deductible if it's used for investment purposes. Which is uh, useful so that's, now with it, interest rates at 5%. You know, tax deductible interest at two is kind of irrelevant. And, and if you think about it, if you get a bit geeky, the yields on equities are up. So meaning that because valuations go down yeah. and the earnings have kind of stayed, you get the better yield. Um, but the key things like, the key things about this structure, using a line of credit against the home, is the loan's actually against the house. It just happens to be that you're using the money for an investment portfolio. So you can match them. Now, that's not for everyone, but I, I, this is the only type of leverage that I would consider for yeah. an investment portfolio. Things like margin loans, uh, like those synthetic derivative stuff, CFDs, they're all, in my opinion, just outrageous. I wouldn't go near them. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't go near them. But for this, if you're prudent, there's opportunities. And I've spoken to a lot of, um, you know, different types of experts in industry who say that they always buy, they, they never buy stocks with cash, if that makes sense. I think we're naturally taught to be afraid of debt, I think is the challenge. Like personally, all I focus on is getting rid of my mortgage. And then once you get there, you freak out and don't know what to do afterwards. But even at 5%, it's still incredibly cheap borrowing money to do things. Uh, one struggle we've seen is when it happens, you need to be very, very mindful of how you're deploying it. So don't pull out mm. 800 and invest it all in the market at the same time. Like if you're going to ever do this kind of strategy, what we've called, I think we've talked about the debt recycling before, where you just do a small portion at regular interviews. I know he's talking about a monthly index investment as well. Um, and you're kind of spreading your risk and getting the benefit of dollar cost averaging rather than dumping a whole amount. And then the reason you want to do that is because you, when if you've dumped a significant amount of money into the market, don't say dump, it's probably not the best word, but and markets fall and you know that's against the loan and you know the value of that loan, you're more likely to make an emotional decision which takes you away from the long-term benefit of investing. You know, you're more likely to make a short-term decision. Yep. Um, and that would be like we get we get that question a lot, Drew. We get, don't we? We get the question yep. of hey, I've got $200,000 from something or other, maybe I sold an investment property or sold my house, something. should I invest it all at once? Well, probably not, to be honest. Um, take your time, be sensible, break it up. These types of things, just regret minimization is, we're not in the business of taking risk, Drew. So exactly. <laughs> um, that's, that's, the, that's the key thing. So, uh, you know, that's this strategy of recycling debt is not for everyone. You can actually use equity in your home to do a bunch of other stuff. Most people just end up with a property portfolio, but you can use it to buy things. And I think if I was to do it, I would be looking for a diversified portfolio that pays a high franking credit amount back to me because that's another tax advantage benefit of, you know, using um, this kind of interest deductible loan, a tax deductible interest. Yeah. Um, and then you get the franking credits as well. Let's see how that goes over the next six months. But some people redraw on their property and they use it for totally different things like holidays, cars, boats, boats all that type of crap. It's massive. Don't. Yeah. Cash out refi was something they talked about in the US where people were cash, you know, up increasing their load and pulling it out. And then that's starting to put pressure on. Don't. Yeah. As don't, if you're going to use this for anything, use it for an asset. Don't use it for a liability like a boat that you take out on the water three times a year and 
Yeah, like, good on you. Just pay for that out of cash. So, um, great question yeah. though, because it's really important. Um, Pilbara Miner says, "What's your thoughts on MLG Oz as a business? Would you add this to your portfolio as it is fairly new to the ASX, or sit on the sidelines?" Sixty-nine, I, I believe. Just in a quick Google here, Pilbara Miner. It's a sixty-nine million dollar company. So, don't really have a view on it, to be honest with you. Just be. We just always say, just be mindful. Uh, I, I think that's the company that Pilbara Miner was talking about. Yeah, it looks like a single commodity mining company and always wary at that size and, and the reason coming to market, if it was a recent pre recent IPO, I'd suggest there's you know much better quality. I know you may maybe not have the scale of higher, you know, tripling or doubling of company value that you do of a $60 million company, but you also don't have the execution issues. So if you don't invest in commodities, you want profitable cash flow. Yep. Uh, Boring. Yep. Profitable, um, just be, keep... Just be mindful of where you get your information from, Pilbara Miner. I see a lot of these uh, these specky tech stocks. They're running um, Twitter ads <laughs> and ads on other <laughs> platforms like Hot Copper and for their stock, not yeah, for their yeah. So yeah. they're just it's just be careful where you get your information from. Um, little Aussie Battler, I'm sorry. Just I'm going to just pay this lip service because I don't know a lot about it. But it's a great question that you talked about Aussie broadband. I love the product. Um, Aussie Broadband is a retailer of MBN services in Australia. Um, and it's, you know, it said, you know, there has been a lot of growth in the customers and revenue, low debt, but I can't understand why they aren't turning a profit. It does seem they are highly rated for customer service and they haven't had any personal data leaks or ACCC fines for misleading broadband plans, which has happened recently. <laughs> Could this be a potential moment? Um, yeah. I mean, the customer service is how they're writing on this. Um, I would highly encourage you to go and, read the work of a guy called Lachlan Burr Jensen. Uh, he's on Twitter. Um, go and check him out. Uh, he's written for the Inside Network. He's written for Rask as well. He knows a lot about this sector and the businesses involved. Aussie Broad... It's a loss-leading company, yeah. isn't it? It sits between it sits between the MBN Co infrastructure and customers. And, yeah. you know, it's all a margin game when you get to that in, into that type of industry. Uh, they've done a really good job so far. It's not the type of business that I necessarily love for a long-term investment, but um, yeah, I think read Lachlan's work. He covers all of the different uh, providers, and I just think telcos is one of those industries where it's quite hard to get a competitive advantage unless you own the infrastructure, like an enduring competitive advantage. So great product, huge fan of Aussie broadband from that perspective, but as an investment, not 100% sure. Uh, so we'll keep moving. We've got uh, a question from Gary Stumpfoot. I think that's his full name. <laughs> is that the winner? Is that the winner? <laughs> I feel like it. Oh, oh that's a real yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, that's his real name. No, he said, "Dear Masters, I as I am 34 and the end and Don't the end me. is coming ever closer. Uh, thoughts on Vanguard Super fee seem higher than my industry fund. What's the sparkling gem that's that that gets that gets that get me to jump ship? Love your work." I think it's almost branding as well for Vanguard. You know, they're, they're trying to enter, uh, they've reversed out of a highly competitive market in Australia, but they're one of the biggest fund managers and super providers in all different parts of the world as well. Um, there's, there was this kind of, historically there was a concept that industry, all industry funds were low yeah. cost, but we saw this year that, you know, Australian super, because they were buying so many unlisted assets, their fee went up something like 0.73 or 0.8% for their balanced option. 
um, because there's yeah, some additional cost during the year. And then Vanguard came in at about 58 basis points, I think. But you have to, the challenge of this is that it's a superannuation product. So you have to pay a custody fee to the provider. And it costs, I think it costs something like at 0.58, there was a few articles on LinkedIn from financial advisors. Not, not, I didn't write them, but said you could build the same, essentially build the same portfolio from Vanguard products slightly cheaper if you use another platform to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which was quite, I think you put something else in your answer as well. Um, but I think it's just ease. So you can go into the product, you can have a diverse, fully diversified portfolio and you're going to get simple reporting from Vanguard, I think. And, and it's yeah, brand awareness would be the key yeah. one. Um, yeah. So just to uh, put a circle around what Drew just said, uh, with the Vanguard platform, because they've had the Vanguard personal investor service, which is like their version of a brokerage account, which I'll get to in a minute for another question. Um, they've come in and said, we'll do super for 58 basis points or 0.58%, which on a 50K balance is 260 bucks a year. Now, Aussie super, just comparing them because they're the biggest industry fund, in if you did their balanced option, it's more like four or 500 bucks. So double, right? But, yep. but the thing is, people need to understand how super funds charge fees. There's the administration fee, as Drew just said. Then there's the investment fee, and then there's costs, like transaction costs, buy and sell, all that sort of stuff. When you read a PDS from any of the super funds, they use the balanced option in their example. Now, not everyone is in a balanced option. So people say, oh, Australian super's fees are too high. Well, you need to look at the different options. So if you did the Aussie super index diversified option, which is a 70-30 portfolio, you can get an exposure yeah. for on that 50k 197 dollars but not only that it would scale better so at a million dollars it would scale a lot better than vanguard because the percentage fee for administration is nowhere near as high fixed yeah. and flat yeah. so you've got to understand like the different components of the fee structure um so that's one thing so what i mean to say is if you're comparing the balanced option of vanguard versus the the option from aussie super rest whoever you use for your super fund, understand the components of the fees and how they scale for your balance. To be honest, the one of the big... Apple, apples, apples and, and apples. apples. Exactly. One of the big issues with industry super funds is they're like Telstra four years ago. They had about they have about 500 different options. The website's clunky. You can't see exactly what's going on. Um, and that's what everyone is annoyed about. So... You can't talk to anyone it, most of the time. There are so many members out there uh, invest for the biggest broad base rather than being able to deliver a more personalized service. Yeah. So it's just, can someone just simplify the thing? Honestly, like it's, that's what Vanguard's, they're like, Hey, this is the fee. It's simple. You log in. Like it's pretty basic. Um, One of the challenges that because of the, your future, your super legislation that came out, a lot of the industry funds are actually being forced to invest more like Vanguard anyway. Um, and if, for the people that don't have the context, Vanguard was actually used by my, a lot of the funds until about three years yep. ago. Uh, they were using Vanguard for the index exposure anyway, um, and they chose to give that money back to launch their own product in competition. Yeah, so basically Vanguard reversed <clears> out <throat> of doing this for the super funds and then the super funds in-housed it to try and do it themselves or like switched money managers. At the end of the day, you... I would just caution anyone that never ever change super fund unless you've fully reviewed your insurance. Um, just p- please don't just go and ch- go for the investment fees. 
review your insurance. And this is particularly important for anyone that has any type of underlying medical issue or relies on the, may rely on their insurance for any reason. Or debt, yeah. family, all those sort of things. Yeah. Like, that the insurance that you get through super is really important for a lot of Aussies. Uh, it is for me, for example. And so you've got to review the insurance and make sure you have like a continuation of cover. You'd want to speak, I'd probably want to speak to an expert if I had kids or a mortgage or approaching like key points in my life. So consider that you can have more than one super fund. It's not, you can have one that pays for your insurance and one that is for investing. I've got two. I've got an industry fund for insurance and then an SMSF for investing. Because you get, there's a thing inside super called group insurance, which basically means that it's cheaper uh, because it's, the risk is spread across millions of people. So, uh, Consider that before you make the switch. To be honest, the Vanguard, in my opinion, Drew, like everyone with that disclaimer said, the Vanguard product seems simple. It seems pretty good for people. Um, the, the, the estimates suggest it will probably capture single digits market share of super in Australia. So just, yeah, I think it's one to add as in the comparison. Um, you can do indexed options inside your, your existing super fund most likely. So like, some of the big super funds provide index fund options for single basis points. And then there's SMSFs that have been more prevalent than ever now because of the platforms that allow you to build an SMSF for under $1,000 a year through a digital platform. So there's many yeah. options. And if you have bigger balances, you know, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Okay. Uh, great question, though, because Vanguard Super is really topical. If you have a separate view on that, if you want to write into a draw or I and let us know how wrong we just got that, please let us know. Um, sh- It'd be super interesting to see how much, how long it takes them to get kind of critical mass because it's a bold, very bold. It took them quite a few years to get approval. Yeah. Long, like everyone in the industry was waiting for it to happen. Um, so it'd be interesting. We obviously they're not a listed company, so they're not going to have to provide updates on how many members have joined. But it'd be mm. yeah. A good one to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So, Com- competitions. Man in red. Good question. A good good name says hello, Owen and Drew. I put aside six hundred dollars every month to invest. Should I wait two months and then invest twelve hundred? Too late this month. Just bought elders on their bad news at fourteen percent down and watched it fall more. So, <laughs> sounds like a person close to my heart. At least it wasn't zip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that happens. So uh, we had Luke Larrative on the show a few weeks ago, talked about um, talked about elders and then it fell subsequently. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure- and lithium, lithium fell. <laughs> yes, I'm sure after. Luke is just thinking, why did I say that? But um, yeah, so elders is a, an agricultural company, been around for a long time. Um, and these things happen, uh, particularly when there's a, I think you wrote about it for uh the, the morning report, Drew, you said that basically I just is a bit soft on guidance. They have the costs coming through from inflation, basically. Yeah. And how much can you pass on? A lot of companies are able to pass inflation plus yep. some. Uh, and that's it's just been hit by that. So I would just say, like, wait two months and then put 1200 bucks in. Um, there is a, there's a thing that you can do. You can Google for investing frequency calculators. And I think Perla has one and it takes into account how much the brokerage is, how often you invest and your expected market return. Uh, and it'll come up with an answer. But generally, for, for what I've found in doing different variations for most people in accumulation mode, it generally makes sense to do a minimum of $1,500 parcels. Um, that's just a very rough rule yeah. of thumb. Like... Yeah, just a very rough rule of thumb. Uh, that's a good question, Manret. Huge, huge. I feel like this has got to be 
this is a play on the on Matt who won last week. Hugh Jundies. And I won't read the full question because it's quite detailed, but he, <laughs> he basically says, assuming that Hugh is a he, uh, would love your thoughts on Matter Group, M-A-D is the ticker symbol. Uh, he gives us a thesis here. And he said the, the main investment risk is execution. This is a people's intensive business. A strong and effective corporate culture has enabled the business to scale and flourish. I will say a few things, Hugh Jundies which is great, by the way. Uh, I, <laughs> that's the winner, it's it's got to be, but there's some pretty good ones. So we'll, um, there's, the final one is quite quite a bit of fun too. Actually, there's a lot of good ones. Okay, I'll be quick. So, And uh, there's a question just came in. No, you can't negotiate with Vanguard. Yeah, yeah. Can you negotiate fees with Vanguard with high balances? No, Owen. Uh, you, you, Even advisors can't negotiate yeah, with Vanguard. There's nothing. So it's the lowest cost all the time is basically what they're trying to say. So uh, Hugh Jundies, your question about Matter Group. So Matter Group is um, is a is a like a mechanics business. It's a ser- mining services business that focuses on repairs of big machinery and so on and so forth. The key thing is culture, and the key thing for them is finding the right people to be on site on these mine sites and do a really good job. And Part of that is making sure that their mechanics have utilization. They aim for over 95% utilization of their mechanics at any one time. The business has grown rapidly. It's compounded fast. Uh, there's a wonderful presentation from Matt Joss of Maven Funds who recently spoke about the business. I'm fairly new to the business. And to be honest, I don't, I, I'm not always in love with services-based businesses because they don't scale well always. This business might be able to do that and it looks like it has. Uh, but I tend to pref- I tend to prefer businesses that uh, I have a very strong belief that the businesses will still be growing five to ten years out. Because I think in investing in individual companies, I think the first one to three years is fairly efficient in terms of like their studies will show that analysts get it wrong all the time. But never mind that. I I think. The forward 12 to 24 months in the stock market, I think, is fairly efficient. Where I think there's a lot of inefficiencies when it comes to individual companies is from then on. I think that's where most investors go wrong, including professional investors, is three, five, 10 years. And if you look at the returns of any individual investor who has a very slow and lazy selling process you'll see in their returns that a few companies account for the biggest returns. And so this might be one of those companies that can compound three, five or 10 years out into the future. But I tend to favor businesses that are super predictable. Um, And that's basically what I'm going for. So for me, like product-based businesses and software businesses tend to fit that bill pretty well. So It's kind of picks and shovels, isn't it? But um, I was talking to someone, one of our team last night about, what's happening, you know, Perth and in the commodity mm. sector. And we just saw, I think, our unemployment fell to 3.4% or something this week. And the struggle becomes keeping good staff when there's multiple competitive bidders that are offering more and more money to those people. And that's what you're talking about, culture, ability to keep people and control costs going up too significantly. And that's that's probably where you're saying you want more certainty over the next five years, whereas it's uncertain. You're probably going to see jump in costs or a fall in service. I think around 40% of this company's revenue comes from iron ore related companies. And I think most of yeah. those are super ultra low cost, like the BHPs of the world. So what I would say is that it does have like, it has to have the right customers. And even though they're in cyclical industries, they have the right customers and they have a really aligned management team that fosters that culture. So it seems to have all the right 
like factors or variables going for it in terms of being a services-based business. I just don't like capital intensive businesses that much. So for me, I just, I, I, it's probably on the edge of my circle of competence and I'm just happy to stay inside that. So that's a great question. Um, yeah. I'd love to know what you think if you do go ahead and invest in it, like go and check out this heaps of great research emerging on it online now. Uh, ben, I think is your real name, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Ask a question. Uh, what is the best platform to purchase long-term ETFs or ETFs for the long-term? Domenico? This is a, I'm pretty boring. I'm, as you know, I'm near, nearing 40. <laughs> so I got the OG. What do you call it? The original, yeah, the original gorilla. gorilla. I still use ComSec, but I did dabble and opened a Perla huh. account uh, this week just to, to kind of try to work out what it's all about. It seems to be one of the fastest growing. So, um and then I'd say it probably depends on where you're investing. So if it's in your personal name, it seems like all these low cost trading platforms, are, uh, they're all pretty good. Like I wouldn't recommend one over the other. Um, finding out what suits and, and the user experience that is best for you. And then if it's super, then there are yeah, multiple different yeah, options. That's a, I use a platform for yeah, super. Yeah, I use a, a traditional platform. Um, yeah, I mean, so just on this, like just for full, just, Transparency Self Wealth is a sponsor of the Australian Investors Podcast at the time of recording, uh, and Perla is a sponsor of Australian Finance Podcast, our other channel. So, when it comes to, there's another question that comes up in a minute, which uh, we can get to. But when it comes to the best platform, um, I mean, there's heaps of things we could do a whole podcast on this. One of the things that I would say is just look at how often you're trading. Um, there are certain accounts that still charge account-based fees, like Vanguard still charges an account-based fee for stocks. So you can have your ETFs in there, but if you have any individual shares, they're going to charge you for that on an ongoing basis, which I just think's I know why they're doing it because they're trying to force everyone into their ETFs and their managed products, but I think it's just a silly. Um, you can have more than one brokerage account. Uh, make sure that they're ASIC regulated. Don't click on a Facebook link and then go to some website that looks like it's endorsed by... Was it Carl Stefanovich <laughs> yeah. XNX CFD trading platform? Or the, the rock is on the front cover and uh, looks like he endorses something. Like, don't go, like, don't go down that path. Um, so I, I do prefer brokers that have a HIN structure. So you actually are the individual owner of the products. Custodial models are very common around the world, but Perla, Comsec, uh, Stake, uh, these are very common. Self wealth all have HIN models, so meaning that you have a, a unique holder identification number. Um, Vanguard, Sharesies, Superhero, uh, as some of the newer ones, uh, operate on a custodial model, which means your costs are lower, but you don't get that individualized HIN. Uh, at the end of the day, you can use more than one. So you could have one for individual stocks. In our community, it basically is, a, in our Rascore community, it's basically a represent, now that we've, we're so big, it's um, a representation of what you see in the wild, which is a Vanguard's, uh, sorry, not Vanguard, uh, Comsec is the biggest. Pearl is, I think, in third, uh, Southwell's second. Um, so it generally reflects the industry and stakes a bit further down. Um, but try them out and see which one you like. I, I'm not really fussed about brokerage fees because I like to know the fees that I'm paying and what I'm getting. I think when there's no fees or very low fees, you've got to ask the question why. Um, I think 
Drew, if you're on Comsec and you're doing ten thousand dollar trades or twenty thousand dollar trades, here's some unsolicited personal advice, like you get in the gym. Um, you're gonna save you're gonna save a lot of money by f- flip, flipping across to a um, a fixed fee broker because, yeah, that's my that's my personalized advice. And so, and so, <laughs> Drew's just getting a, an introduce into the hotel room here. Uh, next question, and we've got only a couple of questions to go, and they're great questions. So, real quick one uh, from Crispy Bacon, being Chris P Bacon says, "Hi guys, I'm helping out my pop superannuation fund and just looking through the shares for him. He's done very well. Some of the shares are down fifty percent." since he's purchased them, i.e. AMP, Tabcorp and Pendle. If you were coming in with fresh eyes, would you cut your losses on underperforming stocks or just focus on new positions? Um, I get... You're asking the right person. Uh, and sorry for the room service. <laughs> Not room service. Uh, yeah. Room turned down service turning up halfway through that. That's why live's always fun. I don't think it's ever happened before. Um, I think I've learned some pretty hard lessons in the last 12, 18 mm. months. Uh, and some of them around, you know, AMP we've had in we had in our portfolio once. Magellan we've talked about. Zip. The, I mean, the biggest question with these is how patient are you willing to be? And my from what I my my biggest probably lesson I picked up is that turnarounds take a lot, lot, lot longer than you expect. Yeah. You know, there's clearly value in things like AMP, Magellan, and Zip, but we've been saying that for eighteen months or so. And it gets a lot worse before it eventually gets better. So if if the, you think there's a significantly better use for that capital, then sometimes it is better off uh, cutting your losses and, and, and reallocating your portfolio. Yeah, I would say that um, you've got to just understand what you're managing this portfolio for. If it's for someone who's... Yeah. Like it, if it's for someone who is relying on the money, you've got to make sure that you're doing it sensibly. And um, you would want to seek professional advice around pensions, about any of that sort of stuff that you might be unsure about. Estate planning, make sure they got a will, all that stuff, like the admin side of things. But for investments, what I would say, just generally speaking, is t- there's a famous Buffett saying, which is turn around, seldom turn. And that's the that's the that's that's been the perpetual challenge of yeah. deep value investing. It's like, when does this juggernaut of a company turn around. It's not the 1950s That's anymore. It. Yeah, you can't, you're not buying cigar butts and, um, you know, booting people out. And then back to what I said at the beginning is, and then as you were saying, what's the purpose of the investment? If he's got a million dollars and he needs 40 grand, we'll put it in terms yeah, of Easy, done. You know, Lock them in. Like you could reset it rather than worrying about the stocks that are already there. That's probably the other one, which is when you walk in every day and start, it might have been everyone quotes Buffett, it's probably Buffett as well. You know, have a clean sheet of paper and would you hold all the investments, not just the stocks, but everything that's in there with a clean sheet of paper yep. every day. Very difficult to do that. Yep. Um, but I think it's super It's powerful. sometimes easier though, correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, if you're in retirement and your tax situation may be more beneficial to selling um, than yeah. if you're an accumulator where you pay tax at 30, 40% or whatever. Yeah, exactly. um, and I would just say there's another thing around turnarounds, just as a general bit of education, that you can wait until the business shows signs of turning around. Like you can sell it and then still monitor it and oh, then wait yeah. for it to actually show signs. You might miss that first uptick, but at least you're. it's not just sitting there doing nothing and risking falling further. Uh, great question. So uh, quick question from Scorpion. Is there a tool that allows you to see the overlap between ETFs and licks within your portfolio? There is one for ETFs. You can use that, but not. I don't know about licks. No, I don't think you can get the full portfolio. Of a, or maybe you can via the annual reports. Have to, I think you'd have to do this quite manually on Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. 
Um, I know a thing, we use something called Morningstar or Morningstar yeah. Direct where you can put a portfolio of assets in and it'll tell you, it'll give you a full, they call it an yeah. x-ray of what, where's the overlap, where's the commonality of holdings. Uh, but it, it, to me, that's, maybe that's an investment idea. Mm. Find a platform that can search all the annual reports for everyone and <laughs> and tell you exactly where your exposures are. But, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's a manual Yeah, process. with with the ETFs, you can do it. Um, there are m- <clears> numerous <throat> platforms, but there's a, on the Vanguard website, there's Fund Compare, which compares the top 10 holdings. Otherwise, you have to use like Morningstar or Bloomberg yeah. or one of these really expensive tools. Morningstar's not too bad in terms of fees, but for Licks, I don't think they have to – I could, I should know this, but I don't think they legally have to disclose everything. Uh, they typically just disclose the top 10 or 20 on a monthly basis. So – in their annual report, they have I think they have the dollar out exposure, oh, yeah. which doesn't give the units, which makes it obviously quite challenging yeah. as well. Uh, so Scrooge McDuck, and this I believe is the we're ne- nearly at the end of the questions. Scrooge McDuck says, um, "Hey Owen, I, if you I know you are a fan of IVV, and it is listed in the the Rascore model portfolios. That's our membership service, nine dollars ninety nine a month. Cancel anytime. But wondering." Just wondering if your opinion has changed towards VGS as a superior option now that you can buy $500 lots with free brokerage from Vanguard Personal Investor. Um, Vanguard also mentioned they will soon offer auto invest for $500. It is enticing to change to VGS to save on years and years of brokerage. Considering this, do you still think IVV would be a better index option? Uh, That's a great question, Scrooge McDuck. Uh, I actually did a study on this because they're not the only ones that offer free brokerage. Uh, Perla also offers free brokerage on uh, GlobalX ETFs. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. GlobalX, and there are a couple of other, E-Invest and a couple of other um, ETF providers. Basically, if you own the shares for more than 12 months, you own the ETFs for more than 12 months, you basically get the brokerage fee refunded. And I did a few scenarios on this, like different investment amounts into different products over time. And what I found was that if you're investing for 12 months or if you're investing for two years or three years and you're only investing say a thousand or two thousand dollars or even five hundred dollars in this case then it makes that that then obviously the impact of brokerage is quite meaningful because if your etf's only getting say an eight percent return and you're investing 500 bucks and it's costing you ten percent ten dollars in brokerage well that's a meaningful chunk of that return right so what I found is that you invest if you invested basically anything more than say fifteen hundred bucks at a time, uh, and you invested with a view for ten years, which is what I tend to do with our ETFs, then it just makes sense to go with the best ETF. That is so much more important than which brokerage like offers you a dollar or two cheaper. So for me, it basically boils down to as a long-term investor, dollar cost averaging, picking the best ETF is actually the to your benefit over kind of like toiling with which uh, brokerage offers the lowest costs uh, right now. Now, IVV has outperformed VGS. At the time of recording, IVV has outperformed VGS over many different time periods. And so that might not always be the case. VGS is a global ETF that has everything outside. They are very, very similar though. That's probably worth... You know, the top 10 are almost identical, aren't they? And that's because I believe the last time I checked, the VGS ETF, even though it's a global ETF, about 75% of the portfolio was in the United States because that's where the biggest companies in the world are. Now, there's another yeah. way to look at this. If you look at just like the pie charts that they present, you can see the 75% is in America and then you get like Europe and some other places as well. 
but with the IVV ETF, it's only US listed companies. But of the S&P 500, there's a Goldman Sachs study that found that 30% of the revenue from those companies came from outside the United States. So if you think about it on a revenue basis, 30% of the portfolio is outside the United States. So you still get global exposure. Like we've got, I'm recording this on an Apple here in Australia. I've got an Apple iPhone, Apple Watch. Like these businesses are global businesses. And then what you get backed up by that is property rights in the United States, um, you get like the capitalistic model, you get a fairly stable democracy, even though there's a, like we all have a few um, bananas in our parliaments. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's more important to pick the right ETF. Um, we've gone with IVV and the hedged version, which is IHVV as an exposure. If if you're investing smaller amounts, maybe you can look at these free ETF platforms. But f- for us, it's we like the HIN-based model. That's very. Where yeah, so we'll, the way we're looking at building portfolios at the moment, we're almost tilting towards the MS, so the VGS or the MSCI <laughs> option. Um, it's a bit more diversified, and it depends what you're kind of benchmarking to. So if you're trying to beat the MSCI, you want to start with it, um, which is a lot. It's a lot of what we're compared to. Not that we try and you know have relative returns every year. Um, so we're kind of tilting towards that because it's more you know the top in the S and P 500 is dominated by. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon at a, at a probably 1% to 2% higher allocation than in the MSCI as well. But you've got a hell of a lot more holdings, so 500 versus 1,400. Yes. And so it's more about that beta is free and MSCI is the beta. And then we have also used IVV and IHVV as a kind of tactical, it's almost a tech overweight if you think about what the S&P 500 yeah, is. Yeah, that's fair. I would, I would probably also concur with you in that. I won't like just play devil's advocate for no reason, but um, – I, I would concur with you that there's a benefit of VGS in that if Europe, for whatever reason, like I don't know what this reason would be, suddenly becomes the economic superpower that it should be, um, then the VGS ETF is going to do better, you know, because It'll have a higher it's got exposure, more exposure. The, that exposure will increase as those companies yeah. go bigger. But then you can use another ETF. You could use, say, the IEU ETF to get that exposure to Europe if you wanted to enhance that part of a portfolio. So I agree with you in way that you build the portfolio from the center out. I would just probably, I just still prefer the property rights system and all that sort of stuff. The Americanism that is exported from the United States. Be aware of currency risk is another thing that we should say. Um, okay. We've got two more, th- two more questions. Uh, pretty easy. Uh, Mr. Fidget Pants. Great name. Mr. Fidget Pants says VSO or ISO, which are two ETFs that focus on small cap ASX shares. Um, This is a very similar uh, and in the top 20 companies, they already own VAS, which is the ASX 300 Australian shares ETF. So they want to know basically these companies, by holding these two small cap ETFs, they have smaller companies, more room to shine and positively influence the overall portfolio given they have longer growth runways, like which one would you go with basically is the question. I think small caps are one of the few parts of the market where there's still information asymmetry, you know, where people who do more research, like you've shown over the last few years, that do more research, talk to management, understand the company better than anyone else can find real growth. So it's always, I prefer active. I think I'm stealing your thunder probably on this too. For, for sectors like small cap, micro cap, because you need to know these businesses better than anyone. And I don't think you get a, 
the risk in Australia, we, I think we talked about last week, was that smaller companies are dominated by mining. And that's not necessarily where, the, where it might be where the growth is now, but it's not necessarily going to be where the growth is in the next few years. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah a, a problem that you have with small cap ETFs is that they end up replicating an index which is pretty volatile and it ends up being a bit yeah. of a mixed bag. So I'm just bringing up the number of holdings now, around about 200. Um, the biggest positions inside VSO are Pilbara uh, Minerals, so that's 3%, IGO, Independence Group, Atlas Arteria, Allchem, Whitehaven Coal, Oz Minerals, uh, Linus Rare Earths, Instatech Pivot, and then you get to car sales, which is the first industrial, like proper industrial, which is 1.7% holding, and it's then it goes back to Charter Hall. Um, they're actually not; those companies aren't, in fact, small cap companies by Australian standards. A lot of those are probably what you say is mid cap by Aussie standards, small cap by global standards, and they're probably not going to give you the scale and growth that you're expecting. Yeah, so. I would I prefer active for smaller micro caps and you can get that via a managed fund, a listed active fund, or I don't actually I don't know about too many listed active funds, but you can get it through listed investment companies as well. Um, that's where I go. Those lithium holdings kind of explain the challenge though. There's been such strong performance from the lithium price that those companies are now say three of the top yep. five. So you you have a very large exposure to one sector just because of their strong performance, which is a challenge of a benchmark in a more, you know, in uh, a narrower asset Yeah, class. and some of those companies will still be in the um, Vanguard, the VAS as well, like Pilbara would still be in there. Um, I, I, yeah, I would go, I prefer I prefer active, can't tell anyone what they should do, but I, I prefer active for Aussie small caps. I also prefer active, as we've talked about before, and you've emphasized this before, on global small caps. The challenge that everyone has, just to be candid, is that the best active fund managers for these types of markets fill up very quickly. So meaning that they often have high minimums, they often have high fees because they know that they're going to do pretty well or they have a pretty good chance of that. Um, and they don't want a lot of money because if they take too much money in, they won't have they will have issues trying to invest that money. So that's what I'd say. Um, final question, Drew, which is an absolute cracker. What a topic to finish on. Like just leave people feeling positive about their day, which is uh, invest or not to invest. That's the question. And that's actually the name of the person that asked the question. So invest or not to invest. Uh, I have heard that a family trust is good for tax benefits. Can you explain? really depends on your situation. So the family trust is like similar to a unit trust, a pass-through entity. So you can own assets within that trust, but every piece of profit has to be distributed every year. The key benefit is that you can, it's called a discretionary family trust, which means you can determine who receives what income and the type of income they receive. So you can distribute fully frank dividends to someone and capital gains to someone else. That's the one, the biggest benefit is the ability to stream income to different people. Noting that if you stream it to a child, they'll get the child, you know, penalty tax rates anyway. Uh, and then the other biggest benefit would be kind of asset protection. So a lot of people put assets and investment properties and things like that in trusts because they're, you know, prone to litigation. They might be in medicine or law or, or different sectors or running their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it provides some level of protection, no, no guarantees. Yeah. Um, that's, that's yeah. basically it. So you can split income. That's basically the big thing. Just be careful who you split it to because there may be penalty taxes that apply. Um, the other thing is that there is an admin burden. So you've got to set it up right. Um, you have to speak to your accountant or lawyer who will charge you accordingly. So you've got to set that up. But then you'll have tax returns as well for the different people and you want to manage that. There has to be a trustee, so on and so forth. I have a trust for the business 
but I don't have a trust for an investment account. Um, there are other, there are other yeah. ways. You don't need to set up a trust to invest for children. People think that you need a trust to act as trustee, but you don't. Uh, it's a bit different in terms of the legal structure, but there are ways if you want to invest for kids. We covered last week. Uh, you can do that in a simpler way. Um, but overall, like that's a really good question. It's a good point. You should get financial advice from um, a trusted professional on that one because it can pay literal dividends down the track. Um, Drew, you know, I was a bit worried when we were doing this um, when we are doing this podcast, you being away for a big week and me kind of like here in Melbourne and there's a bit of a communication issue. And I saw this um, thing on Instagram the other day, which I thought was going to be um, you just said <coughs> something that is would one happen. of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. <laughs> and I thought that that's how this podcast went. Did I live up to that hype or not quite? Uh, no, you were great, mate. For early morning down in Tassie, uh, you did really well. It's obviously the fresh air is paying off for you. Um, thank you for everyone that said in your questions this week. We do actually have to vote on the best name so you get a free pass to the Value Investor Program. Drew, what's your vote? Uh, i got to take Hugh Jundies. Hugh Jundies. Okay, well, I'll go with that then. And so it's unanimous. Hugh Jundies, if you did send in the question... What happened? What would happen if you didn't vote? <laughs> well, that, it's a hung parliament. We'd have to get, yeah, we'd have to get someone on the live chat to, uh, to, to, to tell us. But Hugh Jundies, um, you have won, which is, I, I think this comes from another Hugh last week. So uh, Hugh Jundies, you had your question about Meta Group. Um, please send us through your... Uh, your name or email address so we can award you the uh, free uh, value investor program. Pretty simple. Just send us an email, convince us that it's you and you get a $499 course on us. Uh, Drew, we'll be back next week for two cents. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me. If you do have a question for either of us, send it through on any of the RASC websites. You will find the ask a question link in the menu. You can send a question, make it funny Keep us laughing. We did answer a lot of questions this week, probably too many, so we'll try and dial it back a bit next week. Um, but Drew, mate, I know it was a bit of a rough morning for you, so thanks for taking some time to join me today. Awesome. Thanks for having me again. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.